It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. And thank you for joining us, Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some pretty significant topics, and uh, we have some pretty special people that uh, help us do that. Today, we have a very special person. Carolyn, thank you for joining us. Uh, One of the things that we're going to be talking about is um, religion and its impact on domestic violence survivors and uh, or or victims. Uh, You know, I tend to think that victims... Uh, are the people who are going through it right then. Survivors are the people who've lived through it um, and and uh, made it, and they're at the point where they can start another um, another phase of their life. But as a victim, uh, people often seek assistance, and a lot of those people um, seek assistance from um, their clergy people, their, their ministers, their... Um, their um, you know the the help me out here. I'm really bumbling and stumbling this morning, Carolyn. But um, one of the things that uh, they do is they go to their clergy people first for advice. And Carolyn is with us. And uh, Carolyn Scott Brown works for the Faith Trust Institute. And if you are in the Seattle area, you really should become familiar with the Faith Trust Institute. And uh, they do a great deal of work in what I call practical religion. Now, I don't know if Carolyn would call it that, but I call practical religion, religion that helps people in their day-to-day lives in this world today. Carolyn, welcome. Thank you very much. And I think that is a good description of um, what we do. Um, our organization has been around since the 70s, and so our founder, Marie Fortune, was one of the first uh, people that who decided to start her ministry focusing on violence against women. And since so many women actually go and see their pastor, their uh, rabbi, their even a spiritual teacher when they are victims of abuse, we spend our time trying to educate those um, faith leaders about how they can address domestic violence and sexual violence with their congregations in a way that is very helpful. And we always stress the number one priority is safety for the women and the children. Yeah, yeah. That is very important. And I have done, certainly I'm not an expert in this, but I've done a lot of research on um, uh, the clergy, religion, and domestic violence. And oftentimes people will uh, embrace the tenets of their religion, which is great, but they seem to think that, for example, if the tenet of their religion is that there is no divorce, well, Mm -hmm. you can still protect women who are in domestic violence situations. You can still help save their lives without recommending that they uh, have a divorce. There's legal separation. There's just moving away. There's going to safety. There are all sorts of things that can be recommended and, and uh, done to help women without jeopardizing, without um, compromising your religious faith. And I think sometimes people don't understand that. They think, okay, our religious faith says this, and so that is that, period, the end. Um, you know, nothing else to do. And um, I really believe that people, no matter what their tenets, no matter what their beliefs, they can still help a woman in domestic violence situations, a woman and children in domestic violence situations, to be safe. Is that kind That's of true. your view? That's true. And what we say, we are not advocating divorce or anything else. We're just uh, trying to save lives. And mm-hmm. the marriage covenant is broken when an abuser starts to beat his wife and children. So at that point, 
you know, that family is in crisis. And we help organizations understand what they need to do by forming partnerships with their local and national domestic violence agencies so that they can help that family get to safety. And then if, you know, they want to be involved in helping that batter or become more accountable or get treatment or whatever, that's great. But one of the things that we heard was that many, in one study that many batterers said that one of the things that they would they want people to know is people move tend to move and encourage others to move to forgiveness too quickly. You know, there can be yeah. no forgiveness until there is some remorse and a change in that behavior and treatment is necessary. Okay. Carolyn, what you're saying is so important and I'm afraid we're losing a little bit of that uh, because of the, the phone reception. Can you uh, put the phone closer to your mouth perhaps? That would help. We're getting a lot of interference here. Sure. Okay. There, that that's better? much better. That's much better. Thank you. Um, I want to make sure everyone can understand what you're saying. So, yeah, I, I really think that a lot of um, uh, ministers, a lot of clergy, don't really quite understand um, how serious um, domestic violence can be. Um, in the, the um, little blurb that I sent out about the show that we're doing today, I talked about a recent comment by Pat Robertson, uh, who is a televangelist and uh, quite popular. A lot of people know his name, and he has a television show. And on a recent television show, he read a, a message from a child, presumably a child, who said that his parents fight, and when his parents fight, his father uh, waves around a gun and points a gun at his mother. And the child asked, what can I do? And I'm trying to be generous here. Pat Robertson told the child, first of all, you don't want to get your father busted. This is appalling. This is an appalling comment. Here's a child who's witnessing domestic violence. Here's a mother whose life is being threatened. And clearly, if she had power, she would get him to change that. She doesn't have any power. She is in a domestic violence situation where he controls and, and has the power. So Pat Robertson said to, that the child needs to get to the mother and tell his mother to get his father help. Well, <laughs> this clearly, dem to me, demonstrates a total lack of, of understanding about what domestic violence is. It indicates to me a total uh, minimization of what this father is doing. Um, you know, and he's putting responsibility for correcting the situation on the abused woman. Um, right. To say nothing of the situation that he's also putting the child in, of uh, just kind of accepting the situation and looking to mom for help. I was appalled by this. Um, and I read uh, Reverend Marie Fortune's response to that on her, her blog page, and it was terrific. It was terrific um, response. Were you, did you participate at all in that response to this Pat Robertson comment, Carolyn? No, but um, Marie is always on point, and she, she speaks clearly and right to the issues, and so her blog... She usually pulls things from what's happening in current events, but it becomes a really good way to make things clear to people. Okay. Again, Carolyn, put the phone closer to your with. mouth, Carolyn. Put the phone closer okay. to your mouth for us, okay? Okay. How's okay. that? Yeah, that's better. Just keep it right there. <laughs> well, Sorry um, about that. I also... Yeah, um, I also um, would just like to throw out there that uh, Marie Fortune, the woman, the woman who uh, has done this response, um, has a book out, and she's had it out for several years called Keeping the Faith, and it is guidance, um, and there's a lot of scripture in there, uh, ref scriptural references, um, talking about domestic violence and, and uh, women keeping safe. And, and as I said, it's been out for a long time, uh, 20 years maybe, um, and it's a slim volume, but it is very helpful, I think, for somebody who is trying to balance um, their faith and their beliefs with the safety 
of um, um, an abused woman. So I'll throw that out there, too. So how did you get into this work, Carolyn? Well, um, that I always up wanted to do something as a psychologist. I, uh, When I was a therapist, I counseled a lot of women who were survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault and child abuse. But I was one of those children, like the child on the phone calling Pat Robinson. When I was young, there was domestic violence in my home, and I understand what what it takes and what it feels like for a young person to be exposed to that. And that was one of the first things I thought about in his comment. He had no uh, insight into what this child was going through and how children who are exposed to domestic violence as a child, how it has a, a serious impact on them, on them. And it's something that you never really get over, you just learn to live with it. And so there came a a time in my career where I wasn't traveling as much and I wanted to work here locally in Seattle. And I applied for a position with with Faith Trust Institute to um, talk about and reach out to organizations really around the world because we're in several other countries about helping clergy and faith organizations understand their role and their responsibility to educate their congregations. And um, I help them develop training and educational events, get help them get the resources that they need in order to address domestic violence. And I know a lot of organizations do, um, they have programs and events during October for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So we encourage them to have programming year-round because this is such a big issue. And Mm -hmm. so I came to the Faith Trust Institute in October of 2007. So I've been working with the organization for seven years. And um, tell us your experience. What, What have you learned from doing the work you're doing? One thing that I have learned is that there are still faith leaders who don't, they respond in a way that's very ineffective and hurtful to the women in their congregation. So one of the things I learned to say is the first thing you should do is believe because believe the woman's story because sometimes when they reach out like that and there's this sense that she's overreacting or your husband really couldn't be doing this because he's such a great person. And the other thing I've learned is there are actually faith leaders there who call me and say, I don't um, believe we have any domestic (laughs) violence going on in the families in our congregation. So what I say to them is, why don't you preach a sermon about violence against women. Mm -hmm. Why don't you do that as your next step and then call me back? So then when they call me back, they say that they could not believe the response that they got. One minister who is here in Seattle and has a rather large church and he takes his sermons, he ran out of cassettes, of CDs, of any Mm -hmm. copies of the... um, sermon. There were over 1,500 people who wanted to purchase it, and so that's when you realize that it is an issue. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so what do, do you personally, what does Faith Trust Institute do um, if a, a, a clergy person, a minister comes to you and says, I don't get this, I don't believe in it, I don't um, uh, believe that, that uh, women could be going through such horrible things? Well, on our website, one of the we have some articles that are written specifically for clergy, and one of them is responding to domestic violence, what religious leaders can do. So we ask them to read that. We also ask them to work with some of their leaders in their church to contact their local domestic violence agency and have someone come and speak at during a worship service or at some type of event. 
And we encourage them to read Keeping the Faith because Keeping the Faith is one of those books that it opens up a lot of um, new insight on this topic when people read that. And we have organizations that purchase that in bulk and they give it to the survivors. We also ask them to, uh, to make their church a safe place for abused women and to have information available at the church about community resources and to, um, if they're going to discuss the situation with a couple, that they should meet with them separately. Mm. We, we encourage Absolutely. clergy to start dealing with violence issues when they do premarital counseling. I, I think that those are all good steps. Um, of course, any abuser would not admit that, you know, <laughs> that there's any abuse going on or that there's any thinking about abuse. Um, so, you know, the the notion that uh, the abuser himself would probably seek help is, is, you know, clearly unrealistic. So if the clergy person, if the minister, in his pre-marital um, uh, counseling, as you call it, doesn't acknowledge this, probably it would never be acknowledged by the perpetrator. So Right. And it would also mean that that um, woman's life was in danger because she is talking to someone else about what happens in that home in mm-hmm. public. Yes. And I have yeah. learned that there are many clergy members who are abusers themselves. You know, so that's another whole really? issue. Really? Yes, um much more than what people think. That's an interesting comment. Um, why do you think that is? Do you think that they're just, you know, part of the, the whole national average, or do you think there's anything special uh, motivating them, uh, anything significant that's different from the general well, run of I domestic think violence? The statistics, they're part of the national statistics, you know, because that pastor or that minister or spiritual teacher, you know, it's, you know, a person from our society who we don't really know what happened in their childhood and in their neighborhood when they were growing up. But um, since domestic violence is really about control, it's when one person wants to control and intimidate an intimate partner. There, you know, it's, it happens in all types of families. And a lot of people, another thing I've learned is a lot of people don't realize that domestic violence happens in any home. It can be a, a wealthy family, a very highly educated family. It can be in a situation like a, a minister, a pastor who is a community leader. It's about that. It's about the personality of that person who doesn't have respect for women. Yeah. And some of these people probably were, like myself, exposed to domestic violence when they were a child, and so they grew up believing that it's okay to be, you know, the women that are close to you. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine. Is it more likely for one of those? Um, ministers or clergy people that's that's uh, himself abusive, uh, is it more likely that that person would use um, scripture to justify that behavior? Yes. A lot yeah. of um, clergy members use scripture to make women feel that this is your cross to bear in life. Or you're getting beat up, your children are getting beat up, and they're saying you should pray harder. Or make, or blaming the victim and making the woman feel that there's something that she has done to deserve this. And so we have um, training sessions for clergy members, and um, all of these issues are dealt with, and we have well-known clergy people across the country who are trainers for us. So when they go out in an area and, like, let's say the um, Wisconsin Council of Churches or a national denomination when they have an 
a training session and invite clergy and church leaders, then that person has credibility because that the trainer that we send there is a pastor or minister or spiritual teacher. And so they can speak directly to the scripture. And we're also starting to do more training with seminaries so that um, people will learn about how to address domestic violence and other family violence issues while they're in seminary, and which I think that's going to make a really big difference in the future. We have more and more uh, seminaries contacting us about using our resources in their classroom. And some of them are streaming some of our DVDs as part of their distance learning programs. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. What I particularly like, again, not being particularly up to speed on Scripture, is that Faith Trust Institute does use Scripture to justify and explain why domestic violence should not be tolerated. And I think a lot of times I'll hear people who uh, believe that they are very religious supporting domestic violence by saying that what is the the old the old uh, uh, favorite of of the abuser that you know a wife should uh, cleave under her husband and you know basically be subservient to her husband and um, that ain't necessarily so um, you know uh, do you hear that one a lot I mean do a lot of abusers refer that to that a lot. And what we say is, what about the rest of that scripture which says, be subject to one another and love your wife as I have loved you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they tend to conveniently leave off that part, don't they? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They certainly do. Um, yeah, and, um, you know, for a woman who is going through this and trying to um, stay faithful, uh, to her beliefs, it must be extremely confu- confusing, especially if she goes to her minister and the minister supports this kind of behavior by saying, well, this is just, you know, the way it is or this is what you're supposed to, the role you're supposed to have. Um, I mean, the conflict that it must put that woman into is, is just astounding to me. Have you, Do you work with uh, survivors at all? Yes, I have worked with survivors, and I have uh, provided training with advocates who work with survivors. And what we find is that when that happens, when a woman goes to someone that she really trusts for guidance and that person gives her the response of this is something that just happens or, you know, you're overreacting or whatever, that can bring about a crisis of faith where... Some women, because of getting that response and the way that they're treated by other members of the congregation when they respond appropriately and call the police and have their batterer arrested, and it can cause them to um, leave their faith, Mm -hmm. which is really sad because really ministers and faith leaders should be educated so that they can respond to these type of issues that their congregations are dealing with all the time. Yeah. You know, I haven't thrown on our phone number. I've been so engrossed in our conversation. I know it's a holiday weekend, but if you're out there listening right now and would like to join us, the phone number is 646-378-0430. 646-378-0430. 0430. Give us a call if you are a faith leader and uh, you have any questions, or give us a call if you've had experience going to your clergy person for assistance in this area. Uh, you know, just just call in and uh, let us hear your experience. Um, speaking of experiences, I I often use this um, anecdote um, when I deal with when I I talk with members of the clergy. I have a friend who was very active in her church. Her husband was not. She and her husband, um, he ha- he had been a perpetrator of domestic violence, but never to the extent that he was um, um, in one pivotal time, and that's when she decided to leave him. The next time she went to church, she talked with her, her pastor and um, explained the situation. 
And then the next time she went to church, her husband was there. Well, she had a protection order, so she went to the minister and said, you know, I can't be here. I can't be here with him. You're going to have to ask him to leave. And the minister said, I can't ask him to leave. He he wants our help. And so she ended up having to stop going to her church that she'd been to for several years and that she took great comfort in, in going to. And I think, you know, from my standpoint as an observer, I think, how could a minister do that? How could a minister know what had been going on with this woman and then happily accept her husband as a new member, thinking that he was ready to repent and all that kind of stuff, change his ways, over this this um, church member who'd been there for several years. And clearly he didn't know anything about domestic violence because domestic violence is about control. Well, you know, if if a woman is very spiritual and gets comfort and and assistance from her faith and he can control that, he will. That's the nature of domestic violence. Do you hear instances like that, stories like that a lot, or is this a unique situation? I do. And I when um often I hear from women that are working within their church and someone in the church has disclosed to them that they're being battered. And so they're calling us to find out what they can do and how they can advise that person. And they will often say, well, she's no longer coming here, but we don't want that to happen to someone in the future, so we want to know what can we do as a congregation. And you know, when you get women inside of a congregation who make a commitment to an issue like this, well, they're not going to give up. So we have these lay women who work inside of their churches, and we have organizations, national organizations, like the Lutheran Community Foundation that sponsor events that help webinars that help educate these women and give them toolkits. We have a DVD called Domestic Violence, What Churches Can Do. And so they get busy making that church a safe place and establishing a partnership with their local domestic violence agency to make sure that in the future that the church responds appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um what about the churches that don't contact you? Um, are there more of those than the ones who do contact your organization for advice? In other words, are there a lot of um, clergy out there right now who don't even recognize this as a problem that they have to have some assistance with? Unfortunately, I believe that's the case. I really do. I believe that there are lots of faith communities out there who the leaders of that community, you know, they don't, they're don't. they clueless. They don't have a clue. They don't believe that it's something that they need to, to address. It was not addressed when they were in seminary, and they believe a lot of the myths about um, if this woman could just change her behavior and respect her husband more or whatever, you know, a lot of that kind of trash that this wouldn't be happening to her. And so that's why we still have so much work to do. Yeah. So what about, uh, I mean, I imagine it's very difficult to make a generalization uh, about um, training, about seminary and and the courses involved there, because I'm sure each faith has its own uh, formula for, for, you know, what they cover. Uh, in seminary, but do you see a lot of educational institutions dealing with this issue, or are they just kind of pretending it's not there, or do they just not? What what do, what are what are you seeing? Are you seeing any trends? Well, are you talking about um, like the um, the leadership or administration of denominations, or are you are you asking about seminaries? That are yes. preparing and picking <laughs> faith leaders. Yes, to all of that. <laughs> well, I am seeing a trend. I remember in 2007, I might 
you know, I was calling maybe two or three hundred organizations a day telling them about our information and our programs and the resources that we have available. And I remember at one time sending out some information and brochures to about two or three hundred seminaries and only being able to get maybe not even one percent of those people to take my call when I did a follow-up call. But now, seven years later, I would say that I probably get calls from organizations at least several a week saying, what can we do? How can we incorporate this in our curriculum? What can we do to educate our ministers and our church leaders? What can we do to make sure that we are being true to our calling to help those that are most vulnerable? So I see a a big difference. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that nationally, you know, we have the National Domestic Violence Hotline. We have a, a coalition in each state. There's a lot of work that's being done on the ground. We have these advocates out there who are just working around the clock with women, especially like homeless women. Many women that are homeless are victims of domestic violence. That's what led to their homelessness. So I yes. feel encouraged and hopeful. I really do. I do see... Um, Things opening up, and it, if you were to just look at the um, some of the national faith-based conferences that take place these days, you will usually see that they have several different workshops, and even some of their keynotes where someone is addressing violence in the home. So you do see progress, and you see um, some change occurring in the curricula of a lot of uh, seminaries. And is there, um, and, and forgive my ignorance here, but is there, I know each religion um, has its own um, continuing education seminars and, and that kind of thing, but is there anything like that um, for, say, all Christian religions, that, that any kind of a seminar or, or educational opportunities, were, or conventions for that matter, um, are they pretty much uh, uh, faith by faith, or are they uh, do they ever mix that? And uh, uh, well, there's a large uh, there's a lot of activity that's happening within a faith, with people of different faiths meeting together to address family violence, and then there are organizations like the um, United Methodist Women. They have taken on domestic violence and family violence as their number one issue. And so they're doing community work at their local congregations, but also to the community at large, training people and educating people about this issue. So I think that um, there's a lot more work that's being done. And I don't mean to say that it's all being done by women because you have organizations like Men Stopping Violence and Call to Men that are really working with um, women and teenage boys to help them understand this issue and, you know, be aware of their own behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you please tell us some some uh, personal experiences that you may have had um, with, say, uh, uh, someone, uh, uh, a clergy person or a minister or somebody who uh, doesn't get it, doesn't understand it, and um, you're able to bring them some understanding enough to um, kind of change change them? Has that happened with you? Yes, it has. there was a minister that um, he was encouraged to call in, call, her, call me, call our organization because his wife really wanted him to address the issue. And when we had this long conversation on the phone where he was quoting the scripture and he was talking about um, this is something that you know, it's not really that big of a deal and it could be handled in the home. And um, 
five family members or whatever. I mean, he just was clueless. And so I just asked him to, well, I actually sent it to him. We have um, a long article on our website called A Commentary on Religion and Abuse, and I asked him to read that article. If he would just take the time and read that article and call me back. So he read the article and he called me back and he was like, I never knew. It's just a, really a lack of knowledge and it's conditioning what they've heard, you know, all their lives through their training. So he became one of the most active uh, ministers that I've been in touch with over the years and he began speaking out at ministerial meetings with other ministers about domestic violence. Hmm. That's amazing. Um, what is the most significant experience that you have had in your career right now? I would say um, one of the most significant things that I've um, come in contact with is there are women out there who were abused for years, they were able to get help and they were able to take their families to safety. And this one particular woman, after this happened, she started her own nonprofit and she devoted her career to, and she was the wife of a minister, she devoted her career to speaking to wives of ministers and getting them to organize and get educated and that's all she does and so from her position as the wife of a prominent minister who was abused for over 22 years she has really really made a big difference because once she speaks from her heart and her own experience and even now when I you know see her or I talk to her on the phone you can see the pain in her eyes. She still, you know, she still, um, I don't know how to say it, that what has happened to her still is very close to the surface of who she is today. And I just think that she is probably one of the most courageous women that I've ever met for her to go back and make that her life's work after what she's been through. I think that that, you know, I, I don't have any uh, research or anything to back me up, but I think that that happens with a lot of women. I've, I, 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 from what I've seen, a lot of women who experience domestic violence really want to make it better for for other people. Um, it, it's it's an amazing phenomenon, I think, um, that, that, you know, women who have been very hurt um, that are have the the uh, gumption and the wherewithal and the you know to to make a situation like that or to try to make a situation like that better for the others uh that are behind them and uh, going through the same similar thing um, do you think that um, ministers choose to just kind of sweep this under the rug? Do you think it's a matter of ignorance or do you think it's a matter of um a sense of entitlement? That's, That's a really tough question. question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's both. I think it's a matter of ignorance because they don't know any better, but I also think that um, there are faith leaders that they don't, they don't want to deal with things that they don't understand or that they think could be embarrassing if it got out in the general public. I think that they feel that it's they have the right to decide whether or not this is something, that family violence is something that should be dealt with. I mean, we're in the, we're, we're in the business or the work of talking about things that no one wants to talk about. No one wants to talk about what women and children are going through because many reasons, a sense of helplessness, they don't know what to do, or their fear that it could happen to them. But I just think that, you know, when it comes closer to home, when a, let's say when a woman 
is really hurt or killed in uh, in a congregation, you know, unfortunately that happens. It can really yeah. be a wake up call for faith leaders, or when someone in the community, or even when you have one of these celebrity cases where this national um, celebrity couple who were both ministers, where the woman spoke out and, and uh, talked about how her husband was abusing her. So you just never really know. And since teen dating violence is such a big issue, sometimes the daughter of a church leader is starts to be abused. And it's not just physical abuse, but emotional abuse is very damaging as well that can wake them up. But it's unfortunate that something has to happen where some woman or child is seriously hurt in order for people to get that wake-up call. As a, We've been talking a lot about faith leaders. What about congregations? Um, a lot of the work that's done in a church and a lot of the support doesn't necessarily come from the faith leader. It comes from the other members of the congregation. Do you work at all with um, those the congregations, or do you work solely with the the uh, leaders, the faith leaders? Actually, we work more with members of the congregation than we do with the leaders. And like in many other instances, when things start at the level where you have the people that really do the work of the church, when they recognize that something needs to be addressed and they contact us and we help them get resources and help them plan programming throughout the year to address violence in their congregation and in their communities, those are the situations I believe that... um, really reach more people. I think the work of especially, you know, lay women in the church is unbelievable because you have women that are so dedicated to their faith and their faith community that when they see something that needs to be done, then they take care of it. And, you know, there's a a National Association of Parish Nurses. There's several different ones, but parish nurses are very active in domestic violence training for their congregations. That's good to hear, because I think a lot of times it's 50-50, the amount of support that actually comes from the the minister and the amount of support that comes from the actual congregation. Um, you know, I think they're, they're equal uh, in their influence and their benefits to church members. Um, Okay, so what would I do if I'm a member of a church or a synagogue and I see either a lack of of understanding or a a total misunderstanding about domestic violence? What could I do? What would be a logical course of action for me uh, in trying to improve that for my particular um, faith group? One of the um, first things that you could do would be to get a group of people together, a committee, and decide that family violence, domestic violence is an issue that you want to explore in terms of how the congregation can become educated and invite a speaker. Have someone come from a local domestic violence agency or have someone come and speak who is a survivor but also is a person that's a leader in that community. So sometimes that person that's well-known has more credibility in speaking in in a congregation. You could also contact your local law enforcement agency. Many law enforcement agencies now have a domestic violence task force and they will come out and talk with a congregation about what they see and about getting um, protective orders and some of the legal aspects. The American Bar Association has a group of speakers that go out and speak to all kinds of community groups. The other thing would be to get some domestic violence resource information 
where it is available at that place of worship. And often times uh, I find that women will order some of our domestic violence brochures or they'll just get something from the National Domestic Violence Resource Center and make that information available in the women's restroom so that women can pick up that information without anyone seeing them. Yep, yep. Um, And that's a a tremendous resource, I think. The the ladies' room has always been a resource for women. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's true. It's where we gather as as young girls and have deep conversations and um I, you know the the ladies room is underestimated in my opinion <laughs> um, <laughs> <So true. yeah. laughs> um, what advice do you have for a woman who is being abused um who wants to stay with you know uh, attached and and connected with her religion but who is not getting uh, any kind of assistance from her clergy what would you what advice would you give her? I would advise her to call the national domestic violence hotline at eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three and speak with an advocate there and find out who are some of the faith leaders in her community, maybe in her same uh, denomination, that are speaking out against domestic violence and get in touch with that person or that organization and get some assistance from them. Also, many of the local domestic violence agencies, they have faith leaders that are on their board or their advisory board who have taken the time to educate themselves and their congregations. And so she may need to visit that congregation or get involved in some programming through that congregation. And some of the uh, um, domestic violence agencies have local clergy on call. So if a woman comes to a shelter and she's a woman of faith, they can have someone come and speak to her and pray with her, and she gets that uh, reassurance that there are clergy members out there who understand her situation and her issues. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned, oh, hold on a second. <coughs> Excuse me. You mentioned um, women having a crisis of faith. Could you explain what that means to a, for, in reference to a domestic violence survivor? Well, let's say I'm a woman of faith, which I am, and I've been raised in the church, and I've been raised to believe that my pastor is a compassionate and loving, powerful man of God. And then I go and talk with him about what's happening to me, and he doesn't believe it or he minimizes it. Then I begin to feel this person who I hold in such high self-esteem, if he is telling me that this is something that I brought on myself or this is something that is my cross to bear in life, then I begin to question, why is this happening to me? Why is no one willing to help me? Why doesn't anyone see my point of view? And that crisis of faith can make a woman when she's really suffering believe that her her pastor or her God or her higher power doesn't really understand what's going on with her. And that can be very um, upsetting and that can turn that person against their faith because we're ready kind to of believe like, that having faith and being a person of faith means that we will have someone with us to help us through the challenges of life. So I've often heard this uh, from people who've lost a loved one where they just kind of think, you know, well, God isn't there for me. Um and who maybe stop um, going to church or whatever um, because they feel 
um, that that their God has not served them well. Um, is that the kind of thing that you're talking about here? Yes, and that's part of the grieving process is that people, you know, anger is part of that process. That if that person could have a conversation or seek a pastoral counselor that is really educated about these issues, then they can work with them about the fact that we are not promised that we won't suffer. We are promised that we will be supported as we go through the suffering that um, we experience in life. And so I think that is really crucial for us all to understand that, um, you know, life can be hard and there are a lot of things that aren't fair, but that, you know, our faith is what helps us deal with that and get through it. But you have to really have some counseling and guidance from someone who really understands suffering from a theological point of view. And this is kind of a little bit out of my area because I'm not a clergy member, although I do um, study and read a lot of information, and I've learned a lot through this work. I've worked with pastors and rabbis and imams across the country who really understand how to transform that, a person who is turning against their faith, how to transform some of that uh, suffering and help them see that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that they can feel supported by their faith rather than rejected by it? Yes. Okay. And so they can just understand that, you know, that what's happening to them is not something that means that no one cares about them and that their um, their God or their creator doesn't care about them because bad things are happening. There's just, you know, there's evil with that exists in this world. Yeah. Yeah. This is a such a complicated subject. Do you recommend that a woman of faith see her clergy person first before uh, dealing with a domestic violence situation in any other way? I don't know. I don't know if I would recommend that. You know, just based on my experience, I would recommend that a woman see someone close to her, you know, another woman of faith, or a sister in Christ or whatever you might call it that she can talk to and get some support. I don't know if they should always talk to their pastor first or their minister unless they've heard that person speak out on this topic. That's why we encourage them to do a sermon about uh, domestic violence or have domestic violence um information inserted into the church bulletin. Mm. I think it can be really, really scary for a woman to go to her pastor and get the wrong information. Yeah, that's always a danger, especially if the pastor doesn't really understand the issue. Uh. (coughs) Excuse me, I just sneezed. I don't know if I was able to keep that off the air or not. Um, if you had a sister who is experiencing domestic violence right now and she is a woman of faith, what would you recommend to her? I would recommend to her that she contact a local domestic violence organization and work with an advocate on a safety plan for what she can do to keep her family safe and perhaps talk with, there are a lot of uh, organizations now of um, women ministers who are addressing some of these issues in the community and maybe get in contact with one of those organizations and uh, find out what assistance and guidance that she could get from them. But I would always recommend um, recommend contacting 
an organization who's been trained and is a professional in the area of domestic violence intervention. Yeah, yeah they know. They know what, what, what's going on. Um, again, I think it's significant that we hand out the, or give out the hotline number. The domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Seven nine nine seven two three three, and no matter where you are in the country, they will be able to refer you to help in your area, help that you can get, or they'll be able to um, just talk with you. They can talk with you about your situation, or recommend local places where you can talk about your situation. Some women, uh, it takes a long time to decide what to do when you're in that situation, and um, you know, I, I often tell people, you don't have to be ready to leave before you go to your uh, domestic violence uh, support group or shelter. You don't have to be ready to divorce. You don't have to be ready to walk out. There are a lot of considerations um, that one has to look at before making those huge decisions. You, you don't have to be there at this point in order to get help from these organizations. Uh, and, in fact, I think it's sometimes very important to go to the organizations before, if you're able, uh, before you make any of those major, major decisions. Um, do you agree with that? I do. Okay. I okay. do. Yeah, well, we've kind of covered the gamut, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any uh, kind of final words for advice or or hope or concern that you would like to leave our audience with today? Well, I'd just like to say that if we, each one of us as an individual, makes a commitment to educate ourselves about domestic violence and what we can do as an individual, we can all make a difference. It's very simple things that a person can do that will help them help a woman in crisis or help a family. And I like to just say that when that happens, when it, when individuals decide that this is something that is unacceptable and that they want to, to get involved, then that's how movements start and that's how people become more aware and educated. And then we can get to that point. Our mission is to eliminate sexual and domestic violence. So we'd like to get to a point where every woman feels safe and loved in her home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not powerless. You know, I mean, again, I, I'm, I add the codicil here that I am not a particularly strong faith-believing person, but it would seem to me that if you get comfort from your faith, if you've been raised in your faith, if you uh, rely on your faith, and then that that faith does not give you either um, uh, the right direction or the the right comfort, um, it must be feel like you've been terribly betrayed. And I think it would be really important for every woman to feel like she has that support, if not at least from friends and family, at least from her faith and her beliefs. And so, uh, you know, I would think, I think that this is a huge area uh, for women because so many women, uh, you know, so many people, I mean, we tend to not think a lot about religion today if we're not totally involved in it. But a huge number of people and the majority of people uh, in this country do have faith that they strongly follow. And I think it's important that the faith that a woman belongs to is there to support her and not make her life harder if she's experiencing domestic violence. So my opinion, my two cents were thrown in there. Carolyn, I have had a great time listening to you today. I mean, uh, certainly not a pleasant topic, but you have certainly um, elaborated on it and given us some some insights. Um, we always end the show with a quote, and uh, the quote that I have today is Psalm 11, line 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. I think that sums it up. Thank you for joining us today. Um, 
I hope that um, you were able to to get some things from the show. I hope that uh, what we had to say will help you as you go about your daily life and help women who are abused. So thank you for joining us. We're back next week with another topic, and we are Three Women, Three Ways. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.